0: shoes on in Africa, (laughs) and I've seen a lot of animals around, cows, goats, chickens, all kinds of things, and they don't do their thing where, you know, they don't do their thing all in one place, so I start to think, and I start putting all the pieces together, like this is, this is actually going to be kind of gross, because who knows where I mean, even with even with shoes. I mean, my feet sweat a little bit, and even with shoes, you know, you get stinky feet, that kind of thing. So the whole washing the feet thing is a bit interesting to begin with. Uh, so we we just go for it, and um, and I'm I'm down on my my hands and my knees, and we've got buckets, and I begin to wash these people's feet, uh, and. A lot of different things are going through my mind. One, how hard and callous their feet are. Uh, It's amazing. Uh, You think, you know, if you were to take off your shoes right now, which I'm not asking you to do, nor would I recommend that you do that, but I'm guessing that your feet would be very tender and soft. Uh, and if you were to walk around outside, you might get uh, a rock might puncture your foot. I don't think that that's actually possible with some of the feet that I washed, so hard and calloused. And I began to think of the miles and the miles and the miles and the miles and the story after story after story that are wrapped up in these people's feet, and how their, these feet tell the story of their lives and how they've walked and worked and done all of these different things. And I began to think about each of them as I touched their feet. Uh, but it's a, it's a very vulnerable spot to be to begin to do the things that Jesus does or to begin to do the things that Jesus says that we should do. And this is just one example. And I'm sure that if we went around the room and talked and asked some of you, can you tell me about some of the moments in the times when you've actually begun to do the things that Jesus said we should do, what that was like? I'm guessing there would be all kinds of stories that were very, very powerful and meaningful. Today goes down in the history books at Awaken as a really big day. Because today is the day when the, the mission of Awaken becomes more than just something that we talk about and think about and speak about and make videos about. I'm hoping and I've been praying that today is the day that as a community we step into not just talking about Jesus and not just saying the things that Jesus said and not just thinking about the things that Jesus said or studying the things that Jesus said but actually begin to do the things that Jesus said we should do. Today, I think, is a day when we move from not just announcing if Awaken exists to demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus in the world where we move beyond announcing, which is what we've been doing for the first four months of our time. And that's all well and good. That's a good thing. This is where we should be spending our time. This is uh, something that we need to sort of gather around and announce these things. But today is a day that, that I'm marking in our life to say today we begin to not only announce, but to demonstrate the way of Jesus in the world. And for me, this is a huge day. In case you're tuning in, uh, we're un- unveiling, uh, unpacking, awakens one thing. And Awaken's one thing is really just this, what's the missional focus of Awaken for the next year? Uh, what's the missional focus of this community for the next year? And today, we're gonna, what I want to talk about is the process that we've been through thus far. Uh, and then in this series, uh, we're going to unpack some things, we're going to actually look at the scriptures to look at this issue of hunger, uh, and hunger being the, the missional focus of Awaken for this next year. But today I want to talk about the process that we've gone through to get here, uh, and some of the... Uh, uh, the things that we believe as a community this has led us to, and really the, the so what, uh, the, thing, the challenge that we're going to offer to us as a community to together do something uh, specific to this issue of hunger. So again, next week and uh, the weeks following, we're going to specifically be engaging the scriptures and asking, what do the scriptures say about hunger? And by way of hunger, what do they say about justice and injustice? What do they say about poverty and depression? Surgeon General's warning, in case you're here next week and the next couple of weeks, this is going to get really awkward, and it's going to get really uncomfortable. Uh, even for me, as I've been studying, this has been um, very eye-opening and humbling. Because what we find when we really press into the scriptures and ask, what, does the, what do the scriptures say about hunger and justice and these things, and the connection to what it means to be God's people, uh, I'm hoping that it becomes as clear to you as it is to me. So this morning, I want to frame our time together with a few questions. The the questions would be, where does this one thing come from? Uh, Why one thing? Why not a couple of different things? Uh, Why hunger? And then lastly, the what of one thing. What are we asking you to do? So let's just jump into where does this one thing come from? Uh, I would say this to start. Over the last four months since January, there is a core team, a leadership team at Awaken. And these people uh, consist of those that are involved in leading the different teams that Awaken has. So Courtney is the leader of our kids uh, kids community. Uh, Ben is leading our, our worship and arts. Michaela back here does hospitality. And there's a number of different people that sit on this team. There's eight of us. And I asked them starting in January, would you begin to pray? Can we pray together and really ask God, God, would you show us, would you be absolutely clear, would you be very, very evident that you're leading us, and would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what exactly you're doing in our midst as you lead us? And so over the last four months, where does this thing come from? It comes from the leadership of this community on their knees, figuratively, not necessarily metaf- uh, or metaphorically, not necessarily actually, because we usually sat around the table in there, but on our knees saying, God, would you be clear? Would you show us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And so we stand here this morning quite convinced that, we, that we've listened and we're, we're trying to hear God's voice, and this is what we believe God is saying to us. Um, the structure of this thing, uh, this one thing deal, is our plan is basically to announce every Easter, uh, so we prayed since January leading up to Easter and said, God, would you give us one thing? Would you show us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And so we announced that last week and each year for the next sixty fifty seven eight days, 7 minus 365 is what? That. For that many days, hunger will be our focus. And at the beginning of next year in January, the leadership of this community again will go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you're leading us towards? And quite frankly, we may come back to hunger. We may may be felt led somewhere else. But that's kind of the structure. So I started asking back in uh, October, November, December, January, some questions. And this is kind of how I, this is the way my mind works. I love thinking about the future and trying to see where we're going and that kind of stuff. And so I started asking questions like, what if, uh, what if we focused on one thing for an entire year? What if there was one thing that Awaken put their he- their shoulder behind for an entire year? What would happen if we did that? Uh, what if we What if we used a significant day in the calendar to to sort of leverage? this idea and that day and you know, brought them together to say let's do it on this day and starting on this day going forward. I ask questions like what if, what if we talked about it in terms of resurrection? Like what if one thing was working out the implications of resurrection? We talk about resurrection in Easter every year. What if we continued to work out the implications of resurrection week after week after week after week? Is there something that's at the heart of God that would, that would line up with, with the implications of resurrection working that out in our community and in the community that we live in. What if we did that? Uh, what, if we, what if we called it one thing? So, all of these things are kicking around in my head, and I started you know, uh, floating balloons to other people. And in the midst of us praying together and seeking God, God speaking, and my musings, this is the convergence of what you're experiencing today called one thing. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to a, a process. Uh, that we're trying to facilitate at Awaken. So if you're a part of Awaken, uh, this is something that you should know, and if you stick around a little bit later today, uh, you'll hear it again. But there are three environments that we talk about at Awaken that we're trying to do our best at getting people in the midst of and engaging in each of these. The three of them would be gatherings, so what you're experiencing right now on Sundays. Uh, The second would be groups, and the third would be serving. So there's three different areas that if somebody comes to awaken, it's our hope and our prayer that, that every person that comes to this church and is a part of this community would be a part of each of these things, that they'd be committed to coming on Sunday mornings and being a part of worshiping together, that they'd be committed to getting involved in small groups, that they'd be committed to serving and giving themselves away in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you think about each, three, each of those three categories, you may notice sort of twofold. There's this, there's this idea of... of, of information and things coming in and things going out so intake outflow. uh and i think as i've as i've thought about spiritual formation and what does it mean to be a a a part of a church and as a youth pastor how do we get kids to grow in their faith i have come to the conclusion and the belief that there is as much spiritual formation that takes place when we experience the life of god than when we learn about it with our heads and our minds and, and conversations and that sort of thing Let me repeat that. I think that there is as much spiritual formation that happens when we experience, when we do, when we actually do something, as when we sit and we learn about it and we do this kind of thing, okay? Now, if you have been a part of a church for very long, you probably know, um, which one do we tend to favor more? Any thoughts? Learning. Learning, right? What does it mean to be a disciple? It means you learn all the right things. You learn about the different doctrines of the Christian faith. You study the scriptures. You memorize scripture. You learn this. You learn that. We talk about this. We talk about that. I want to challenge us to think that there has to be both. There has to be both intake. There has to be learning and and conversation and dialogue and doubt and questioning related to the the cognitive things of what what does faith mean. But I want to say that there is equal importance Uh, in this area of actually doing the things that jesus said we do or that we should do so i believe and we believe that when we go out and we actually serve in jesus's name we're learning what it means to follow jesus when our kids watch us do those things that's part of spiritual formation and they're learning what does it mean to follow jesus beyond or not not beyond in addition to the things that we're actually learning cognitively about who is who is jesus and what did he say about himself and what about the resurrection and all these other things so there has to be both. And if there isn't, I think we have an anemic understanding of, spiritual, of what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a person of Jesus, that follows Jesus. So both knowledge and experience. So one thing is the corporate awakened expression of serving. So one thing is will become that which we do corporately to say we want to serve, we want to give ourselves away, and we believe that as we do, we learn what it means to follow Jesus also, uh, or connected in combination with, in, you know, running alongside of learning scripture, studying scripture, all of that kind of stuff. Does all that make sense so far? So by the way, this is where I'm going to get in your grill, if, if I can for just a moment. Uh, we live in America, if you weren't aware of that, and in America, the customer's always right. Uh, the consumer is—it holds the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, and it wouldn't be out of the question for people to come to church and think that church is just an extension of the culture that we live in, and so we can come to church and experience good music, good preaching equals happy church people, right? Uh, uh, it wouldn't be out of the question to think that that's what we expect of you based on the culture that we live in. And if that's what you're looking for, a place where you can come and, for lack of a better term, consume uh, good teaching, you'd be the judge of that, we're doing our best, Uh, good music, and I think it's great. Uh, If that's what you're looking for, I have really bad news for you. This is probably not the church for you. If that's what you're looking for out of a community of faith, where you can come and kind of be anonymous and not really engage and not really get involved, this is probably not the place for you. We are about to do some heavy lifting. We are about to engage with our lives. We're about to plunge our very selves into the fabric of this community. And that's going to require a lot of effort and energy and lifting. And what we can't afford is dead weight. And quite honestly, we need your seats. So if that's what you're looking for, I just want to be honest with you right up front that this is not that kind of community. If you are looking for a community where you're going to be challenged to, look, to know who you are and what the gifts that you have and invest them in the community, if you're looking for a place where you're going to be challenged to step out in faith and, and, and with a, an assumption and belief that there may even be miraculous things that God does in and through this community, if you're looking for a place where the Spirit of God is leading and, and causing us to move out into the community, if you're looking for a place to be caught up in something that God's doing, then welcome to Awaken. I'm so glad that you're here. But you have to understand that what we're about to do is connect, demonstrate, and announce. And this is who we are, and this is what this community is about. And so I am, I am thrilled about what's about to happen. I'm so excited, but I just had to give that caveat. And I'll leave that ball in your court. Where does one thing come from? Uh, there is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he tells the story. uh, many of you know who Bonhoeffer was. He was a a theologian who lived in the World War II time time frame. And uh, a new book just came out about Bonhoeffer. And in this book, he talks about this this visit that he makes to a place called Bethel. Bethel was a community uh, in World War II where uh, people who were physically and mentally disabled and handicapped would go and Christians would care for them. And so this is what uh, the the author of this book says, and I quote it. It says, Bethel began in 1867 as a Christian community for people with epilepsy. By 1900, it included several facilities that cared for about 1,600 physically and mentally disabled persons. Friedrich Jr. took it over uh, from his father after his father's death in 1910, and by the 1930s, it was an entire town filled with schools and churches and farms and factories and shops and housing for patients, nurses, and caregivers. At the center of the town were numerous hospitals and care facilities, including orphanages. Bonhoeffer would say, Bethel is the antithesis of the Nazi worldview, which exalts power and strength. It was the gospel made visible. It was a fairy tale landscape of grace. When I heard that, I was like, wow. A fairy tale landscape of grace. Bonhoeffer would go on to say that when he visited Bethel, he felt like he was in a different world. He felt like he had been exported from the world that he lived in into this bizarre, amazing place that didn't exist everywhere else. And he called it fairy tale landscapes of grace. This is at the heart of one thing making visible the invisible, counterintuitive, radical, uh, upside-down nature of the kingdom of Jesus. And when it happens, fairytale landscapes of grace begin to become real. They begin to pop up in the midst of dead and dying places. This is where one thing comes from. For us as a community to desire to be a part of a, a, the beginning or the creation of or the ongoing movement of a fairytale landscape of grace in this community— So this is at the heart of one thing. This is why we're doing this. Why one thing? If if this is where one thing comes from, why would we say that we're going to focus on just one thing? Why not a couple different things? Why not three, right? Most sermons have three points. Why not three things? Uh, Because I think the way of jesus if we think about it seriously We have to take into consideration that the way of jesus always goes against the grain and against the culture It always goes upstream and our culture says more is better bigger is always better Bigger and more define what's successful. They define who gets what they define how everything shakes down Bigger is always better And so we cast our net as wide as we can and do as much as we can in the name of jesus I think that this, uh, there's two things that I would say are important here. One would be the spiritual, the other would be the organizational. Spiritually, if we follow Jesus, I think we have to take into consideration, come to grips with, that to follow Jesus, we come face to face with a discipline of simplicity. That Jesus lived a very simple life, and the life that he calls us to is one of simplicity that's not cluttered with all kinds of things that, that ask for our attention, but to live simply organizationally what does it look like or or imagine the impact if we think of all the individual people in this room and all the impact that you could have as individuals you could we could probably do some damage we could probably do some really great things as individuals but what if what if we gathered all of the potential energy all of the potential resource all of the potential impact of this community and directed it and focused it towards one thing do you know what a laser is It's like focused energy. It's focused light. And what can we do with lasers? All kinds of amazing things for good and for evil. But what if we took the potential energy of this community and took it all and focused it in one direction? I believe that we could do significant damage against the the kingdom and and the, 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 the working out of evil in this world. The working out of injustice in this world. So why one thing? Because if we take the energy of this whole entire community and say this is the direction that we're headed, I think we can do more good. I think that we can do a better job of making a dent in something and... For this season, it's going to be hunger. Uh, And I literally saw this played out in Africa when I was there. I was sitting at a table. I was eating dinner. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. And it was an ant. Now, ants in Africa, many of them, are just microscopic. They are tiny. They're so small that you don't recognize that they're even there until they're crawling all over your legs, which actually happened to one of our, our team members. It was disgusting. But these ants, the only reason I noticed that this ant was there was because it was carrying something. And when I saw this one ant, do you know what I noticed? There was a line of about 50 ants following this thing. They were all lined up and it all trailed back to this one corner and then up the corner and then down the window. And you could follow these ants and they were all going in the exact same direction, doing the exact same thing. These ants were tiny, they were microscopic. You couldn't see them unless they moved or they were carrying something. Here's what happens when a bunch of ants get together and do one thing together that's a car behind it do you see that that's an automobile that carries human beings and people weighs tons that anthill is like two times as big as that thing termites are the same way in africa termite mounds everywhere This thing is absolutely massive, and it's a testimony to what happens when a group of things or beings, ants in this case, humans in our case, get together and put all of their energy and all of their effort towards one thing. We can have significant impact. And so we're praying and asking God, would you, for this next year, at least this next 300 and however many days, would you use us to impact this community and this issue of hunger? Maybe we could build an ant hill. I don't know. Can you imagine if you, like, busted that thing open? Wow, that would be sick. So that's where it comes from. That's why one thing. Why hunger? Uh, and I'm just going to preface what I'm about to read to you with this. Next week, we're going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to look at hunger from a scriptural perspective. And what you're about to hear off, I'm sorry, it could be a, 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 an effort to guilt you, to make you feel bad, uh, that, that I'm going to read a bunch of stats about hunger and uh, it could be that I would use this to, to manipulate your emotion and make you feel bad that this is what's happening in our world and, and we should be involved in that. That is not my intent at all. Part of hunger is being aware. Part of getting engaged in this issue is becoming learners and becoming aware of the actual need that's in our midst. For me, as I've really opened this thing up, I've learned a ton about hunger, about its impacts, about what what it looks like in our community, like outside of our doors right here in Lilydale and in Mendota and West St. Paul. So I'm saying these things to, ne- to only educate you and to help you open the door and open your heart to this process of learning about hunger in our community. So why hunger? As we, as we prayed and this item came up over and over again, let me just read some things uh, that are pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Every In the world, every five seconds, a child in this world dies from hunger-related causes. Five seconds, child dies every five seconds. Every year, six million children under the age of five starve to death. Six million. So the entire population of the Twin Cities dies. Kids under five because of hunger. Uh, In the U.S., 15.5 million people, or approximately 20% of the children in the U.S., live in poverty. 20% of the kids that live in our country, in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, live in poverty. Uh, In Minnesota, each year, low-income Minnesotans miss a staggering 125 meals. That's 10 meals a month for every struggling child, adult, or senior. Three nights a week, imagine three nights a week going to bed hungry and waking up hungry, not having dinner or breakfast three nights a week for uh, for 125 million meals. One in eight Minnesota children live at risk of hunger. One out of eight kids in Minnesota. Uh, and research shows that kids who experience malnutrition uh, when they're young, uh, during critical, growth of, uh, critical periods of growth, their brain is impacted. Their behavior, their school performance, their overall cognitive development, their, schools, their scores in vocabulary, reading comprehension, math, general knowledge, all of these things are impacted because kids don't have enough food to eat. We'll be, again, we'll be unpacking some of the things that are unjust and systems that perpetuate them in the next couple weeks. In 2010, there were more than 3 million food shelf visits statewide in Minnesota. 63 million pounds of food distributed by Minnesota food shelves last year. Uh, In 2008 and 2009, there was a 25% increase in food shelf visits. And uh, in some of the suburbs, actually, uh, there was, or in the city, overall, there was a 14% increase. And in some of the suburbs, they reported 60% increase in food shelf visits from people that were coming, up 60%. Just in our neighborhood, right here uh, in South St. Paul, there's a group called Neighbors Inc., and they've been around a long time. I went and visited them this last week. Neighbors Inc. served 8,800 people last year, and half of them were children. 4,000, almost 4,500 kids they served last year over 30,000 pounds of food goes out their doors every day, or every month uh, in their food shelf. 30,000 pounds of food. And every year, and food shelves across the country know this, every year during the summer, kids that are on free and reduced lunches during the year are no longer in school and food shelves dry up. So we're, we're entering a season when food shelves are just dying on the vine. They don't have enough to give away because kids aren't in school and they need to eat. So why hunger? Because this is an issue that's real in our community. I don't know about you, but when I first started researching this and learning about this, I thought hunger was something that only happened in the city. Um, But if you, uh, some friends of mine who I'm going to introduce to you in a a minute, uh, started some things in Dakota County. Dakota County, one of the most affluent, Dakota and Scott County, some of the most affluent counties in our state, have astronomical hunger issues and numbers. So hunger lives next door to you whether you live in Eden Prairie or St. Paul. Why hunger? Because as we prayed and as we sought the Lord, the people that took our calls, the people that had coffee with us, the emails that we got, and the things that kept coming back to us were hunger, hunger, and hunger. So let me just challenge you. This has been really informative, and uh, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, Um, but let me challenge you as we close today. Here's what what we want to do. Over the next year, there's going to be a number of different opportunities for this community to be involved in this issue. Uh, some of them will be ongoing that I'm going to explain to you in just a moment. Some of them will be kind of one-time things and will encourage the community to step in and to be a part of this. I want to just introduce three of them to you, and I want to challenge you with this today. As you leave today, and if, you're, if you call Awaken Home, or even if you don't, would you consider what, did it, what would it look like for me as an individual or me as a family or us as a family to engage in hunger? And would it be, is it possible that one of these things may be something that the Holy Spirit is pressing on you? I, I know that we can't, you can't do all of these things, and that's not what we're asking you to do. But we are asking you to, in, to, to get involved in some way, shape, or form in, as Awakened steps into this issue of hunger. So let me just give you three things that we're going to continue to put in front of you. The first one is Project Foodstock. Project Foodstock is basically a neighborhood food pickup. Have you ever done lupus before? Anybody put food out on their, or uh, clothes out on their doorstep, and lupus comes and takes it and does whatever they do with it? Same kind of an idea. It's a neighborhood food pickup. It was started by some friends of mine, Chad and Liz Caswell. They live in Lakeville. And it, the, their, their goal is twofold. One, to engage people in the issue of hunger, and two, to keep the food shelves stocked in their counties. So some of the materials and resources that I'm going to direct you to, say, Dakota County, we just need to translate it to here or wherever you live. So the challenge is this. Would you, um, and here's some information if you're interested, you can come get it, some tips and timelines, and if you have Internet access, all this is available on the Internet, so maybe you could just print it yourself. What would it look like for you to pick a spot in your neighborhood, a four-block quadrant, six blocks, however you want to do it, and go around to those neighbors and and put a a flyer together that says, Hello, my name's so-and-so. My church is taking on and getting involved in the issue of hunger this year, and I want to respond, and this is how I'm doing it. I'll be back next Friday, next Saturday, whatever day you pick, to pick up food that we're going to... And and you can either find a food shelf in your neighborhood, or one of our partners this year is going to be Neighbors, Inc. So you can drop it off at Neighbors, Inc., or you can bring it to your own local food shelf where you live. So, here's who I am, this is my name, this is what I'm doing, I'll be back next week. Would you be interested in putting a bag together of of food uh, that I will take to the food shelf? This is going to do a bunch of different things. One, it's going to make you actually step out of your comfort zone. Uh, It's going to make you actually meet some of your neighbors which is a brilliant thing to do if we, actually, if we say we want people to know Jesus. This is a great spot for you to be. Uh, two, it's going to engage you in your heart and maybe even your kids, if you have any, in the issue of hunger. And, and four, it's going to help keep this, the food shelf stocked. So Project Food Stock is one option. A second option is Project Food Patch. As they started this food stock deal, they got donated to them 16,000 square feet of land down in Lakeville to do a community garden. We have dreams of doing a community garden of our own here in St. Paul, but it takes a while to get all that stuff going. So this year, we're partnering with Project Food Patch, and we're going to take two Sundays a month, uh, uh, the second and the fourth Sunday of the month, from 3 to 5, and we're going to ask groups of people, uh, families, individuals, or small groups to go and to garden. You don't have to have a green thumb to do it. Uh, they say green thumb is not necessary, warm hearts, warm hearts are. So if you can go and you can serve and you can do what somebody tells you to do, then this is great. Uh, we're going to do this the second and fourth Sunday of the month, If you're interested in this, we're still working out ways to do the scheduling of this, but if you're interested, uh, come up and sign, uh, put your name down on the paper, and we will contact you, let you know how we're going to do this. But second and fourth Sundays, we need people who will garden and just work, and we need people who would be willing to be hosts. So when we take a a, a Sunday, we need to have somebody there who actually knows what's going on, and they're in contact with Sherry, who runs the garden. So if you want to be a a garden host, we need probably four of these, and you would just go through a little... uh, uh, orientation with Sherry, she'd tell you what to do, you'd be in contact with her, and she'd send you weekly updates. This is what needs to happen at the garden this week. So if you're interested in that, just put a star by your name, okay, if you want to be a host. Project Foodstock, Project Food Patch, and then Neighbors, Inc. does a, uh, last summer they served, I can't remember the numbers, but it was just bonkers, at, I think they were doing 90 bags of food in a, in, a, in a week, and each bag of food had 10 meals in it, five breakfasts, five lunch. So a family a mom could come and say, I have three kids, and they would walk out the door with 15 meals, or I'm sorry, 30 meals, 10 for each of their children, five lunch, five breakfasts for the week, because during the school year or during the summer, these kids don't have free and reduced lunches. So what we're gonna do is take at least a sun, uh, uh, one day a month and go to Neighbors, Inc. and actually stock and pack the food that these kids are gonna be getting when they come. So if you're interested in that, they're still working out the details of of who's going to run the program this year and then they're going to be in contact with us. If you're interested in doing that, sign up on this sheet over here. We'll contact you and let you know the days that we're going to do it. and You can pick one and we'll all go over there and participate. So these are three sort of on-ramp ways that we're going to challenge this community. Project Food Stock, Project Food Patch, and Neighbors, Inc. Uh, If you have any questions about any of this stuff, Again, projectfoodstock.org has a lot of information, a lot of resources that you can download. Things like form letters that you could send to your neighbors, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you're uh, the food, food Patch and the Neighbors, Inc. stuff, write your names down and we will contact you. Lots of information. Let me wrap it up by saying this. Where we started was we want to be a community that does the things that Jesus did. And as we will find out in the next couple of weeks, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, the people of God are commanded to step into hunger and poverty and injustice all over the place. You'll be blasted next week when I bring all this information I've been studying. I'm not going to try to blast you, but I think you may be overwhelmed because as I've read it, there is a unmistakable connection to a love relationship with Jesus and serving the hungry and the poor among us. Period end. And Jesus says if you don't do that, you don't know me. Period. You can know all of the things you want to know about who Jesus was and what he said, but he said if you don't do this, I don't know you. Says it in the Old Testament, says it in the New Testament. Here's the deal, gang. We want to be people who who become a fairy tale landscape of grace where the gospel of Jesus is lived out in this community, in and through your life and my life and our life together. So welcome to one thing. Let me pray. I'm going to ask Ben to come up and we'll close with a a song or two. God, this is a a big day for us. And I recognize, God, that this could be done in a spirit of uh, entrepreneurialism or even social justice without the gospel. This could be done in a way that maybe would do some good in the community, but wouldn't be in touch with, in tune with, in line with the values of the kingdom of God and the life of Jesus. God, we just want to say first, right off the bat, that this is not about us. This is not about me. This is not about this church, but it's about you, Jesus, and who you've called us to be in the world. You have asked us to follow you, and you've said, if you want to do that, then here's what that looks like. To care for and to serve the hungry and the oppressed among you. To welcome the stranger. To bring in those who, who, who are foreigners and aliens. God, you've said that this is what it looks like. And so God, as we begin this journey, we want to open ourselves up to your spirit. We want to open our hearts up to what you would do in our lives. God, I pray that you would break our hearts. I pray that you would that you would make it difficult for us to sleep when we, when we come face-to-face with this stuff, with this issue, and with, these, with, with people. God, with, with people that you've created, that you love, I pray that you would make us uh, see it firsthand. And as we do, God, would you change our hearts? Would you make us, would you mold us, would you shape us into the kind of people and into the kind of community that doesn't just announce the way of Jesus in the world, but that demonstrates it as well. That says, here is uh, here's a cup of water. Here is some food in the name of Jesus. And God, we, we pray for, we look forward to the opportunities that we'll have to, to, to explain why it is that we're, we're acting so crazy. Uh, the, the love that maybe people will experience. I, I look forward to you and I pray for opportunities to say, it's because of Jesus. It's because of you, God. So would you bind our hearts together? Would you begin a work in us, God, that that knits our hearts together as a community? And would you uh, begin to pool us together, our resources, our compassion, our uh, our ability to influence and impact the the places that we live? And would you just pour them out in your name and for your kingdom's sake? Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you. So help us do it.